to the Voorhees IP podcast. I am Reed Fire Clancy, and I am your host for today's episode of our podcast. Today, we are discussing more advanced topics involving NFTs or non-fungible tokens. This is part two of our two-part series on NFTs. In part one, Arthi Anand, a friend of the firm's, and I discussed NFT basics. What are they and why should you care about them? Hopefully you joined us for that episode. If not, this might be a good time to go back and listen to part one. In part two, Arthi and I will continue our discussion of NFTs and we'll discuss more advanced topics such as buying and selling NFTs, as well as some notable deals and cases relating to them. As a reminder, Arthi is counsel at Cahill Gordon and Rindell LLP in New York City. She focuses her practice on IP and finance matters, and she regularly counsels companies on complex IP and technology issues such as cryptocurrencies, NFTs, payments, blockchain, artificial intelligence, and fintech. Arthi also counsels global financial institutions and supports M&A and financing transactions. So you've probably heard of non-fungible tokens or NFTs, and by this point, you may even be ready to stop hearing about NFTs. As we mentioned in part one, NFTs are recently taking the collectible and digital art industries by storm. All of a sudden, any form of digital artist is finding new opportunities to showcase their art and get a hefty price for it. Even celebrities and other multinational industries are joining in to secure their spot in the digital assets front. As an example, the NFT Beeple's Every Days, the first 5,000 days, sold at Christie's for more than $69 million in March 2021, which sparked a wider interest in digital artwork and sustained media coverage. Wired senior writer Kate Nibbs even sold one of her tweets as an NFT. But NFTs are not limited to digital art only. There are many ways to use NFTs. NFTs can be tokens providing ownership of any rare and unique item, even if it's another form of asset. An NFT can also have a physical form, meaning the NFT token is linked to an underlying physical asset. But the concept of digital ownership can be difficult to grasp. So Arthi, help us out here. When you own an NFT, remind us, what exactly do you own? The question you're posing is a complex question because um, what's interesting about NFTs is it almost encapsulates multiple items under one heading. So there are two types of NFTs broadly. One type of NFT is it's a digital representation of, say, a work of art or music. For example, you could have a Picasso painting and you could have an NFT or a token that represents it. That's separate and different from the underlying artwork itself. So it's nothing but a token or a piece of code that's a representation of the underlying digital work. A second type of NFT is when the NFT is proof or a demonstration of ownership or assets. It is effectively tied to the deeds. For example, I could own a piece of real estate and I could record the transfer or ownership of that item via an NFT. So the NFT in that case will almost act like a document or a or proof of title or ownership like it would in the real world. So, the, so NFTs encompass both types of works. That's really interesting. So how could I, as the average person, buy an NFT? So I'm going to back up a little bit. There are two ways in which normal people like you and I could buy, sell NFTs. One, there are, for example, if we were interested in buying an NFT of a famous artwork, like a beep, like people that you had mentioned earlier, 
Um, there are auction houses such as Christie's, Sotheby's and Phillips that are auctioning NFTs. So what we do is we fill in their preliminary application process. And if we are approved to bid the day of the auction sale, we can submit bids on these NFT tokens as we would on works of art. And whoever wins the bid wins the right to buy the NFT. And very similar to regular brick and mortar auctions, the auction house filters through, identifies potential buyers, deposits are taken if if it's part of the um, terms, or they vet and identify that the buyers are capable of paying for and making the purchase. And the auction could happen online. Second set is there are other marketplaces such as an OpenSea, Rarible, Nifty Gateway, where they provide auctions, but they also allow for buying and selling, just like you and I may go on Amazon, click a button and purchase an item. There are also NFT trading platforms that allow people like us to make purchases or even to mint and sell NFTs. And so when you're purchasing an NFT on one of these marketplaces, are you typically paying with cryptocurrency? And how are the NFTs stored? Are they stored in wallets the same way that Bitcoin is? Yeah, you raised a super intriguing technology question. Um, you're right. For example, when a lot of the auction houses accept, you could in theory accept fiat currency too. But as a general practice, the vast majority of NFT sales when they occur, whether it's through auction houses or through NFT marketplaces, they typically accept bids in cryptocurrencies. And a little bit like in the real world, we'll have the option of accepting bids in US dollars, pounds, etc. We can choose so the seller in consultation with the platform can make a determination on which currencies are they willing to accept. Vast majority of times they choose one currency to avoid disputes on which bid is more. But like, for example, they could accept bids in Ether. And from a practical matter, how it would work is, for example, I am a buyer interested in purchasing an NFT. My crypto wallet would be connected to my fiat currency. At some stage, I would have, you know, uh, converted X amount of US dollars into Ether. I then use that Ether to make the bid and if successful to purchase that NFT from either, either through Christie Sotheby's or through the NFT marketplaces. And a second part that you brought up was, how are these NFTs stored? So typically these NFTs are sold, are stored on these platforms. And once I make a purchase, it's transferred to my wallet. And another intriguing part about NFTs is, for example, I could have an account on OpenSea, make a purchase of an NFT, and then it's going to be on my OpenSea account. A vast majority of these NFT platforms are connected at the back end. So I could buy a piece on OpenSea. If it is connected at the back end to Nifty Gateway, I could have bought another NFT. For example, I could buy a jacket on OpenSea. I could on the on the Nifty Gateway or say another Discord one, like such as Venu, bought a pair of scissors, and then I can use it to cut up the cloth and then add it or mint it onto my ape avatar and create a jacket for my body. So the way to do it as a practical matter is for these multiple platforms to be at the, to be connected at the back end a little bit like if you had multiple bank accounts. Is there a way to link these bank accounts at the back end so that I can transfer money from my Citibank account into my Wells Fargo account? 
That is fascinating. I didn't realize that everything was so interactive. So we talked a little bit about the marketplaces. What if I wanted to build a marketplace or launch a platform? Is that something that I can do? Can I enter this market? Definitely. It's a it's an area in which, in theory, anybody could enter the market. So in addition to standard players, <laughs> such as like the auction houses, et cetera, the number of these newfangled companies such as OpenSea and Nifty Gateway that have set up its own trading platforms. What is intriguing, Reed, is there are two types of players who are interested in building a marketplace. One is there are companies like a Nike, a Gap, which sell consumer products and are now building these NFT marketplaces as an extension of what they sell in the brick and mortar world. Um, and two is there are other players such as a Nifty Gateway and OpenSea that are building NFT marketplaces with the sole goal of attracting and selling NFTs. The key concerns or, that I would raise is one, information security risk and payment methods. A key part is making sure that when we connect wallets, et cetera, we're offering a secure payment method because for buyers and sellers, it's critical that the payment methods are secure. If if these things could be easily hacked and I could lose my money, it would make me a lot more hesitant to use these marketplaces. So that's pretty critical. A second part is the SEC issue. Typically, a lot of folks like to view NFTs as very similar to baseball cards. For example, I'm a fan of uh, Gucci. So I <laughs> want to therefore own an online Gucci jacket too. Then I, I'm, I seem a little bit more like a fan. There are NFL, H, NHL, et cetera, that have launched its own NFT marketplaces. So buying and trading those NFTs are similar to, are viewed as similar to buying and selling NFT, uh, sorry, baseball cards. The reason I'm being a little careful is if sellers and buyers start engaging in purchases or trading in NFTs with the sole purpose that the price of the NFT will go up, the SEC is likely to view it as very similar to a security. And the concern would be that folks are potentially engaging in creating investment vehicles and raising capital without obtaining the SEC's approval. So one wants to make a careful distinction between what is considered a collectible item similar to baseball cards versus capital raise and a security. And that really comes back to a big discussion that we had in our, in our first part. Another thing that occurs to me is that if I'm a platform and I'm allowing third parties to mint and sell NFTs, I, as the marketplace, can be at risk if I'm not ensuring that the parties that are selling actually own the rights. For example, you talked about the Gucci jacket. If I am allowing third parties to sell and Joe mints a Gucci jacket NFT and he doesn't own the underlying rights, what happens to me, the marketplace of Gucci comes after me and says, hey, you're allowing, you know, this is third party infringement. You're allowing somebody else to, to sell our goods. Absolutely, Reed. You have um, identified what is the heart of the IP concerns with these NFTs. So currently the law is unclear on it. So you are spot on in that. These platforms, for example, a lot of platforms currently do not wet and check whether the person minting the NFT has a right to mint it. A second tricky issue is at present, it is not super clear under existing IP law 
who has the right to mint the NFT? Is it the person who owns the underlying work or is it the artist who created the underlying work or is it any third party? Could say, I would argue that if I tried to make um, mint a jacket with Gucci, Gucci would sue me for violation of a trademark and copyright. The second naughty issue is how do platforms check and determine this? So currently, because it's unclear, platforms have different terms of use, which they require people minting and selling on their platform to agree to. And I've asked some of them. So there are terms of use that exist across the spectrum. The ones that when we advise clients, we advise them is to tighten rep warranties and indemnities so that we clearly say that the seller and the person minting the NFT provides a rep warranty and an indemnity that they own all the IP rights and connection and have the right to mint in NFT. And similarly, it's good practice to include disclaimers clearly indicating if the buyer has a dispute with the seller, it will be between the buyer and the seller because that's a way to protect and insulate the platform. So that if the, the buyer then discovers that there's a third party IP infringement, they go right after the seller and not the platform because it would result in enormous liability for the platforms if each time they were brought into the lawsuit. But going back to your point on how the lowland, um, Napster is a great example of how platforms have been um, sued, alleging that they are facilitating infringement. It hasn't yet happened in the NFT marketplace, but that's a concern that's frequently raised and discussed with clients. Napster is a great example of a case that kind of paved the way for that question. And I know a lot of goods marketplaces like eBay or Etsy include these kinds of warranties and then include trademark or copyright infringement report mechanisms so that owners can have infringing products removed. So it'll be interesting to see if that happens in the NFT space. So my my big question now that I'm really interested in this is how can I create and sell an NFT? Can anyone get online and make one? Absolutely, Reed. That's one of the fascinating areas about NFTs. It's almost like, without sounding macabre, almost like depth the leveler. It allows people like you and I to be creators of NFTs. So it is correct that anyone like you and I could go on these NFT marketplaces, mint and sell an NFT. Interestingly, um, these marketplaces also allow us to sell NFTs we may have bought. So for example, I could have bid and bought an NFT and sell it. Third is, is another intriguing phenomena we've seen. So for example, what a lot of NFT companies do is there's a community called Discord, which consists of folks who are active on it. So, for example, I'm interested in couture houses, so I'm active on the Discord community with regard to these fashion houses. Then what happens is a little bit like the influencers in the real world who then get like the first row seats for these fashion shows. Then these designer houses do what they call a drop. That is, they allow they do a drop into my crypto wallet allowing me to bid on an NFT that they are releasing. So like say a Gucci jacket or an LVMH one, then I have a chance, there's a finite period in which I bid on it. And if I win it, I then get a chance to take that skin 
add it to my existing NFT, which is like say a board ape and mint a brand new NFT. So the beauty of these NFTs is it allows me to be a creator. It allows me to mint NFTs, even if I'm not purely an artist with the ability to design jackets and to create creative works on my own. So that is the beauty of these NFTs. Yes, it allows different common people to create and sell NFTs. And it seems like avatars are becoming one of the most popular NFTs to own, which is just a series of digital artworks created around a single subject, like you mentioned, an ape or an alien. And we've seen that the subject is often in the middle of a frame, like a picture, and uh, has an assortment of facial expressions or accessories, just like your Gucci jacket, whereas the Gucci jacket itself is an NFT, so is your avatar, and so you're essentially combining these NFTs. It's really, really interesting. Yeah, it kind of takes us back to a few years ago, right? Like when the internet technology occurred and you had blogs, etc. It it allowed all of us, it was a certain democratic element, it allowed all of us to become not just consumers of information products, but also co-creators. So the NFTs are allowing a lot of us to be creative uh, producers as well. And that's really what's engaging and intriguing about this area. And one other example I can think of is like, for example, with CryptoPunks, um, they provide, it's it's an NFT collection with a 10,000 piece collection. And one piece is like the avatar. A lot of these projects also, for example, provide scissors, provide different tools, and it provides cloth and thread. And it allows me to choose combinations of these to create my own jacket to put on the avatar. And so that's what's really cool about NFTs. It allows many people to be co-creators and engage in creative processes. Absolutely. One example from 2021 that comes to mind of an NFT collection that got a lot of buzz was the Board Ape Yacht Club from Yoga Labs. Uh, I know the most expensive ape, number 2087, sold for approximately $2.3 million on the OpenSea Marketplace. And that token holders included a lot of celebrities, including Snoop Dogg, Logan Paul, and Stephen Curry. So you talked about the private discords where they get access to perks, custom activity drops. And then there was also parties in New York City that they were allowed to attend just because they were these token holders. So it seems like these NFTs, I mean, they, they really just create a completely new type of engagement. Absolutely, Reed. What you've touched on has been a phenomenon of how NFTs have been integrated into our lives in the real world. So it's not even something esoteric like teenagers are engaging with, like with online games. It's become, and as you were alluding to with regard to Discord, people who are active in Discord are almost treated like active fans. So they are then rewarded with these invitations for different events and ability to engage with different players in it. The only reason I'm uh, being a tad cautious is far more recently in a lawsuit, a number of these celebrities have been sued, arguing that they have effectively been creating a security without seeking the SEC's approval and endorsing a security. And so there is a class action lawsuit against uh, celebrities for uh, being involved in the issuance of a security without the SEC's approval. 
And we could talk more about this as we get to the SEC issues. Which it seems there are plenty of. (laughs) So what about more sophisticated NFT deals? Are the marketplaces different when we're not talking about, you know, just an avatar? Absolutely. This area has become so sophisticated and interesting for us lawyers, Reid, because on paper, I'm going to think of like the responses is like sort of three baskets. One is when it first started off, it was NFT sales and purchases were for a group of esoteric folks who could go onto these platforms, click a button, buy, sell NFTs. As the area has become more sophisticated, involving larger and larger works, for example, the Beeple art deal that you were mentioning, one paint, one painting alone sold for over $69 million, and that's just one of many artworks that have been sold. As they've become more sophisticated, what's happened is these players have gotten involved with large auction houses like Christie's, Sotheby's, Phillips, to facilitate these auctions, just like they would for a Van Gogh or a Picasso painting. So there are these run-ups of publicity campaigns that happens. And what's intriguing for us lawyers is what's happening at the back end in order to facilitate these sales. So there is then a contract between the seller and the auction house in order to put up these sales, including engaging in marketing campaigns, etc. Then there is a contract between the auction houses and the potential buyers. These auction houses invite multiple buyers. The, the buyers have to agree to the terms of sales set up by these auction houses. And third, at the back end, harks back to the question you earlier asked about how do these wallets work? So, for example, if I'm selling an artwork through one of these auction houses, I deposit the code in a third party account. The third party acts as the escrow agent. The code is with them along with the public key, uh, sorry, the private key. And then what happens is the auction is conducted online. Typically, these range from a few hours to it can even go up to multiple days and different buyers put in their bids. And part of the auction terms will indicate the length of this auction. And when the auction closes, whoever has the highest bid will be considered to have won the piece. And then they transfer the payment to the third party escrow. And it's when the escrow agent signs off, they they take the money and at the same time, they release the code or the NFT to the buyer. And so in the ideal world, this should all go fairly synchronistically. But we've also actually seen times where, like with any other auction, there are issues that crop up. For example, in the real world auction, in the ideal world, the buyer has sufficient funds and then they transfer it. And then the auction house releases the painting to them. Sometimes on rare occasion, what happens is that it turns out that the buyer did not have sufficient funds. So then the auction house will not release the painting to the buyer. Similarly, we've seen these sort of issues that arise even in the NFT world. Turns out that the seller did not have enough cryptocurrency. In the ideal world in this area, auction houses are ensuring checking for deposits and checking and filtering for buyers who have enough financial resources in order to make the purchase. One of the war stories I would share is very early in the day because a lot of these auctions are now conducted online, not in physical rooms where people are holding up placards to say, hey, I'm doing the next bid. Um, right. And what's, what we've actually witnessed a time, because now what's happening with these online auctions is there's another third party that provides the technology resources and that's actually hosting the auction. And we've seen times where for a few minutes or even longer, the website has crashed. 
So if people were putting in bids during that time, it didn't go through. It crashed and then we had to actually set it up. So now as lawyers, when we are drafting terms, we are anticipating these kind of technology glitches and we are putting in disclaimers to indicate that whether it's the auction house or the buyer is not going to be responsible for such technology issues. If there is a glitch, no potential buyer who say put in a bid at the time when the site collapsed could then argue under promissory estoppel that they had a right to purchase it because they had put in a higher bid. So you want to put in place various legal terms to anticipate and to address these issues. That is fascinating and takes me back to the Ticketmaster debacle with Taylor Swift tickets, which I was unfortunately involved in, uh, website crashes. So one question that I have is um, secondary sales of NFTs. Let's say that I'm successful at one of these auctions and I purchase an NFT and, you know, I've got this thing and it, it's, val- it's got value and I think I want to sell it and maybe make a profit. Can I then sell it to someone else or am I stuck with the NFT? And is it the same marketplace or are there different marketplaces or auction houses I have to go to to resell an NFT? That's a great question, Reed. And you're right. So, for example, if you or I bought like an NFT, we could sell it. And two is if the platform from which we bought. So, for example, when I make a purchase on a certain platform, I have the right to transfer it to a wallet of my choice. So if that wallet is connected at the back end with other marketplaces, I could definitely sell it on the other marketplaces. Um, The one note of caution I would strike is, um, for example, right, if we bought a Chanel bag or, um, for example, um, an Audemars watch, we could conceivably sell it after 10 years. Say I have a, God forbid, I have a financial situation or I'm interested in making a purchase of something else. So I go ahead and sell it like a collectible just as I would. The, The note of caution I'm striking is, If I make a purchase of an NFT with the sole purpose that the price is going to go up, so I'm going to sell it in a week, like I would a share on the stock market, there is the concern that that would be viewed as a capital raise and as a security. So the line on when are these NFTs like baseball cards or a handbag versus when is it nothing but like a share is a little bit blurry. And I would love to hear your thoughts on how it interfaces with the first sale doctrine. Well, yeah. And I, I mean, I guess that comes back to the question is whether it's a collectible or whether it's a security, because the first sale doctrine covers works of art. Once an item, a good has been sold. For example, if I make a painting, I own the copyright to it. I own the exclusive right to make copies of it. But once I've sold the physical good, that's the painting, The first sale doctrine says I no longer have rights to the physical painting. I could sell it to somebody who can then resell it and doesn't have to pay me any royalties as the original artist, or they can put it in their attic and let it collect dust, or they can rip it in half if they want to. That's that's the way this first sale doctrine works. So for NFTs, you know, and and we've talked a lot this episode and last episode about who owns the underlying rights, you know, does the first sale doctrine apply? If, if I'm selling a Gucci NFT, does Gucci still have rights to the pattern that's on it because it's trademarked? So it's a big question and, it, and I think it harkens back to whether these are essentially collectibles or 
security interests, first of all, um, and how we determine who has the rights to any part of the NFT. It, it's just it's it's murky and it's definitely being um, talked about a lot in the industry right now. So, Arthi, you know, is is there a risk that NFTs could be used as a competitive tool or to prevent innovation stemming from that? Absolutely. And you've identified like what's a real world issue. So to give an example, we had a recent lawsuit involving Nike and StockX. In this case, Nike was interested in launching a platform that allowed for sale of its sneakers. And at the same time, what happened, StockX launched a platform called Vault NFTs. And what they were basically doing was selling NFT sneakers, but uh, sorry, selling Nike sneakers. And what they were utilizing NFT was for as title deeds. I remember earlier we were talking about how there are two kinds of NFTs. One is when it's a code and a digital representation of artwork. Second is NFTs can also be utilized as title deeds to authenticate ownership of an item. So Walt was using NFTs for the purpose of demonstrating title deeds. For example, Ardi bought Nike sneakers and this Walt through this Walt platform and the Walt platform provided a certificate of authenticity. So if I wanted to resell the sneakers, you could check my certificate of authenticity to determine that the Nike sneakers that I was selling was authentic. And what happened was Nike, in the meantime, had acquired a company called Archie FKT, which specialized in NFTs. And so they wanted to launch their own platform where in addition to, say, selling Nike sneakers through brick and mortar stores and through its online platform, it also wanted to sell Nike sneakers online and use the NFTs to track authenticity. So Nike, therefore, wanted to prevent Walt from being launched and actually sued StockX in court, arguing that StockX use of the of using Nike violated both Nike's trademark as well as Nike's copyright. And they were and they were able to utilize IP rights in a way to prevent another company from entering the marketplace. So one concern that a lot of us IP lawyers are talking about in private is, hey, there here are the positive effects of NFTs. It's enabling certain companies to access new markets and tap into new consumers that they couldn't do earlier. But secondly, it's also being it may also be deployed not just as a shield, but also as a sword to prevent others from entering the marketplace. Well, and, you know, that kind of goes back to IP rights, trademark registrations and um, copyright can be used both as a shield and a sword in the same way. So maybe it does really belong in that field as opposed to a security. So what about the fashion industries? I know that some NFTs are being utilized creatively as a marketing tool, especially in, in fashion houses. Absolutely. You've identified like an area that we've really seen NFTs. Um, mushroom and, and a way in which we could see the advantages of NFTs as average consumers. During the pandemic, when sales of designer and couture products were scheduled to go down because folks were not out and about. So what a lot of the designer houses did very creatively was they launched NFTs. They basically created these Discord communities where Folks like real world influencers who are more active in these communities got drops in their wallets 
So then they had a finite time to bid on skins that were made by the same designers. So these were authentic products made by the designer houses, say a Gucci, an LVMH, a Christian Dior. And if I was one of those influencers or active on Discord, I had a finite time, say 30 days in order to bid on it. And what's intriguing was we lawyers were in partnership with these fashion houses as they designed this NFT product when we we drafted the terms with regard to for the bidding period. When would they then have a right? What period would they have a right to actually mint this into an NFT? Because it was a lot of these are use it or lose it because you didn't want to create infinite time period obligations. And then it also provided rights on what could they do with it? Like what are the other NFTs in which you could combine it? And then third, the question was, what other rights did you obtain? Did you have a right to only use it on certain platforms or did you have a right to sell it? Were you able to connect it to other third party NFT platforms? So that gives you sort of a sampling of the kind of challenges and interesting work that we lawyers did. So there were folks who could mint on avatars and then sell. Another very intriguing feature we saw that er that arose during this time was metaverse fashion shows. Just like in the real world, you had like fashion shows with people seated on first row, second row, watching these people trapeze around the runway wearing these designer clothes. You also had metaverse fashion shows. So these designer houses really utilize NFTs as an excellent marketing tools. Here were their brick and mortar handbags and jackets and clothes in stores. Second, they minted and sold NFTs. Third, they also created these metaverse fashion shows that attracted an audience of a different age group than, say, traditional purchasers of couture garments in the real world. So I think these fashion houses really did a terrific job of utilizing NFTs as an ancillary marketing tool and to generate additional revenues. Again, this brings up the implication of design rights, copyrights, trademarks. It's very interesting. There's still a big question as to rights ownership. What rights does the platform have, right? What rights does the buyer have? What rights does the design house retain in these NFTs? Absolutely, right? One is at present, it's still unclear to what extent copyright and trademarks governs NFTs because it's such a brand new phenomenon that has arisen, whether it's the courts or the agencies or even Congress and senators, we're all trying to understand how do NFTs fit in with these traditional copyright trademark laws. For example, copyright was crafted in order to address printing press. How does it address the internet and this new phenomenon called NFTs, which uses blockchain technologies? What is intriguing is uh, currently last year, the senators wrote to the U.S. Copyright and Patent Office to undertake a joint study. And the last few weeks, the the offices have actually engaged in roundtables in order to surface the issues around copyright and trademark issues around NFTs, because you've identified the key issue, right? Like if I am allowing or rather if I'm providing the tools, allowing and selling certain code that allows a third party to mint a, a jacket, add it to their board ape and to sell it. The question is, what rights am I giving the buyer that determines, what license rights am I giving that is determining what rights the buyer has? Can the buyer only add it to an existing avatar? Does the buyer have a right to sell it? So the concern really is if that we don't figure out 
or rather Congress and the agencies do not figure out what the law is, private parties may craft the law via these licensing arrangements. So the concern really right now is to ensure that we do it in a thoughtful, deliberate manner by having the by having Congress and the agencies make a determination on what rights can be transferred via NFTs. That's a great point. And with all of these lawsuits from Miramax to Yugalabs, everything is becoming a lot more complicated, which really demonstrates the NFT issues involving technology and IP. And as you said, if the government doesn't create the laws, then you know we're going to end up with some case law that really dictates the way that we can we can move forward in this area. So as these areas continue to develop, this is why it's really important to consult with attorneys prior to making any big moves. Absolutely, I agree with you. The Banksy example for me epitomizes it. For example, and there's a Banksy painting. There was um, there was a second group that bought it, burnt the work, um, recorded the burning, and minted that into an NFT and sold it. And the tradition and the question really for all of us is: Does copyright countenance the destruction of work? If work is destroyed under the guise of minting an NFT, would that receive the blessings of the U.S. copyright? That's a really interesting question. And and this has been a a fascinating discussion. We'll just have to see how these roundtables and and the rulemaking process continues and whether Congress decides to include NFTs under copyright protection or if we're going to end up with SEC governance if they are uh, security assets. Well, Thank you so much for joining us, Arthi. It's been just great talking to you, especially these last two episodes. We really hope to have you back again, and and we're interested to see your progress in this industry and how things continue to develop. Thank you so much, Reed, and thank you for inviting me and for this opportunity, as well as for engaging in this uh, intriguing discussion. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm.